welcome back to another episode of the Excellence Experiment that is produced by the Inclusive Excellence Commission of AACNU in partnership with Howard Hughes Medical Institute as an element of our ongoing work to understand the Inclusive Excellence Initiative as work is in progress across cohorts of funded institutions. I'm very grateful and excited to have joining us today the folks who are leading the charge of inclusive excellence from the University of California at Merced. And so I will ask each of you to uh, introduce yourselves and quickly just tell us a little bit about your, your role on campus, and then we'll get into the meat of your inclusive excellence work. Can we start with you, Jennifer? Yes. Um, thank you for having us. Um, my name is Jennifer Manilai. I'm a professor and currently department chair of the Molecular and Cell Biology Department at UC Merced. I have served in several leadership roles on campus um, as the biology program chair, as well as the unit chair, and served on lots of committees. And I guess one point of context that might be relevant is that I'm a founding faculty member at UC Merced. So I've been at UC Merced throughout its short 16-year history, so have seen a lot of transformations in this short time. Exciting. Thank you, Jennifer. Laura? Thank you. Hi, I'm Laura Beaster-Jones. I am an associate teaching professor in the Department of Molecular and Cell Biology here at UC Merced. Um, this is my seventh year, and I guess my piece of context is that I've worked at several other universities before coming to UC Merced, um, and so that gives me other perspectives to draw from and to see how different things are um, that we're doing at UC Merced. And last but not least, Marcos. Good morning, I am Marcos Garcia Ojeda. I'm originally from Puerto Rico and I am a founding faculty like Jennifer. I've been at UC Merced for 15 years. I am a associate teaching professor that I teach microbiology and an interesting perspective that I have is that I started as a research faculty member having a lab, and then I transitioned to a teaching faculty member in 2014. So I have seen both the teaching and the research aspect of the institution. Absolutely. And that's an amazing perspective to have, especially with respect to this inclusive excellence work. So to kind of kick our conversation off, Tell us a little bit about the inclusive excellence work that's going on there at UC Merced. I understand that this is your third year of the inclusive excellence work. So tell us some of the things that you all have been doing thus far. So my part of the project is building student-faculty learning communities, and we've been trying several different approaches to that. The pandemic has definitely interfered with some of those activities. Um, most recently, we have started a learning assistance program where we bring undergraduates into the introductory classes, so undergraduates that have recently taken one of the classes, and they are now in introductory math, biology, physics, and chemistry courses. And I am working with them in the introductory biology course, and it is really quite amazing to see the interactions between more senior undergraduates working with a brand new freshman and how they are encouraging them and bringing this whole new dynamic into the classroom. Um, we also have started a program, well, a few years ago, that 
was bringing together faculty and students in conversation over dinners. So this is the What's Your Story component of our program. And these would be dinners that we would host on campus uh, in the evenings and invite, you know, three to five faculty and 20 to 40 introductory biology students. And we would just have um, conversations that, you know, we'd try to start out with something that we would have in common, like talking about family, and then we would just get deeper and deeper into things that are more and more personal and intimate about our lives and and share things that usually aren't shared between faculty and students. So they were really uh, authentic conversations. Um, and I'm hoping that we can start bringing them back. But of course, the pandemic interfered with that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Laura. Marcos? So I am the leader of the faculty development program um, of our Inclusive Excellence Grant. Our hope is to begin to encourage and facilitate the adoption of student-centered pedagogical practices by the faculty. Um, originally, we started with the biology faculty, and it had slowly grown to include the faculty in other STEM disciplines like chemistry, physics, and engineering. Um, we have had, to date, we have had three different events for faculty training. We had, um, in, in this summer, 2021, remotely, we had our first summer institute scientific teaching attended by about 30 faculty members and postdocs in the institution, where we spent an entire week working to learn from each other and learn to implement scientific teaching practices. So the very first two workshops happened in January. So we're trying to have one workshop in January and one workshop in the summer, or the big institute now in the summer. So we had during COVID, we didn't stop. Uh, our last uh, institute was done remotely completely. Um, one entire week, Laura actually was one of the facilitators to help faculty create a teaching tidbit in class. And the other ones have been in person, um, one facilitated by the CIPO from San Francisco State University and the other one facilitated in-house about uh, active learning via Zoom. And then um, what I am um, leading is uh, trying to add course-based undergraduate research experiences to our curriculum, and especially in focusing right now in the bio program. Uh, we're uh, University of California campus, and we're a R2, Research 2 institution aspiring to reach Research 1. And so, um, you know, research is a key component of our mission. And um, traditionally, a lot of our faculty have participated, you know, um, in summer research programs where uh, students have to apply and they spend the summer at a different uh, different institution for eight weeks. And um, we have similar programs here at UC Merced, but they're quite limited. Um, and a lot of students don't have access um, or simply just can't you know, attend these in the summer. So we're trying to incorporate um, coursework that um, 
is more research authentic. Um, and so we're working on, um, on adding new courses and also enhancing the existing uh, courses that we have already in our program. Thank you. So it's really exciting to hear about all of the outstanding, important work that you guys are doing there at UC Merced and what, to me, distinguishes this inclusive excellence work from other similar STEM reform initiatives is its focus on institutional capacity building and particularly identifying the barriers that exist at the institutional level that have, you know, contributed to, you know, persistent disparities. So given the institutional nature of this work, have there been any surprises or, you know, as you've embarked upon this journey um, with inclusive excellence projects, has there been any aspects of this work that have been different or surprising than other reform initiatives that you may have participated in? Maybe I can start. So UC Merced is only 16 years old, right? And so um, when it opened, you know, it already, there was already this mission on campus amongst the faculty that this was going to be a different UC, right? So there is aspiration that we would be creating, you know, a research university of the 21st century, you know, and all of the characteristics that that entails. And so there are visions for a more diverse faculty that reflects the demographics of the student body. UC Merced is over 60% first generation. We're a Hispanic serving institution, but we're not just 25% Hispanic. We're like probably close to 65%, 70% Hispanic. Um, we're also uh, um, an anapesi, and so we're a minority-serving institution, and we're located um, in a central, the Central Valley of California, which has historically been an underserved area educationally, and we built a research campus in the middle of you know the former golf course that's next to the county lake, and next to you know almond farms, um, and so you know it's a it's very different just from, you know, its inception. Um, so I guess what surprised me at the beginning was that, you know, um, one, faculty that were here, you know, most of us you really had this, um, this mission kind of in, ingrained in our souls, you know, even though um, we were not really trained in institutional reform or STEM reform, right? We were just uh, starting our, you know, research programs and, creating curriculum, teaching our courses, getting to know our students, learning how to teach, you know, learning Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. um, or just kind of um, emulating what we had brought with us, you know, and what we had experienced on our own. And so what's surprising to me is that the um, where I guess where I think the change is coming from. Right. So I think I'm learned that higher education is very conservative and very slow to change. Responsive, you know, um, desires change, but doesn't really know uh, how. And I think every institution will take a different approach, um, right? Um, But what I have learned the most is that the change, I think, is going to come from the students. And, Mm. you know, interacting with our students and really learning um, their experiences and 
their perceptions of what is happening, you know, to them on campus or just kind of things that the questions that they bring up or, you know, the barriers that they express really helps me focus like where my effort should be. You know, I don't think that, um, you know, there's a lot of literature and there's a lot of resources that we can use as faculty as guidance. But I think if we don't take into account, you know, what the students are experiencing, it doesn't, it's not going to have the impact. Right. Um, For sure. Yeah. And so that's just one kind of um, reflection that yeah, I have. Centering centering students' perspectives and really empowering them to be a part of the transformation is really, really powerful. I'm going to give Marcos or Laura the opportunity to add to that if, they, if they'd like. Laura, go first. Sure. Um, I really appreciate the context that Jen brought. Um, UCMR said is a very different special institution um, that is different than any place I've ever been. And what has been a little bit surprising to me is, is with that context and with everyone purposefully coming here with, um, you know, kind of a mission in their heart and, and a sense of purpose, it is still academia. And mm-hmm. there are still all of these structures of academia that we do bring from our previous experiences. Um, and a lot of our work has been discovering that and then piece by piece trying to figure out how we can get to where we want to be, where the mission that we say we want to be and figuring out how to get there. And a lot of it is, you know, who is in the classroom, what they're doing. And that's one piece that I have been really excited about with the learning assistance program is that it is our students that are in the classroom in positions of holding knowledge and resources that can help the incoming students. Mm, What I will add is that the institution has a really committed faculty, staff, and student population to make something different and new. And part of the surprising is that we, as faculty, for example, we are being pulled into multiple directions because of the responsibilities that we have we want to be excellent in the research that we do. We want to serve our community, whichever the communities are that we uh, belong to in that intersectionality. And we want to do well by teaching our students. And oftentimes those could be conflicting forces pulling you in different directions. And it's been very amazing to see our colleagues manage to do it all, sort of on a shoestring budget. Uh, with little resources and be able to make things out of thin air, where for <laughs> the institutions have a lot of resources, we are sort of like the small engine that could, that we continue doing things, and I think we can, and we do. Yeah. For sure. So have there been any, like, major highlights that have, you know, just inspired you and, you know, excited you about continuing this work? Um, and then, of course, we'll get to you know, hiccups and roadblocks. But, you know, right now, what are the things that are inspiring you through the inclusive excellence work there? Uh, so so when we wrote our proposal, it started out just by focusing on the biology program, which spans two departments. And, 
you know, there was a lot of uh, support and buy-in from all the faculty in the bio program on what we were proposing. And we had basically envisioned that by year five, you know, of our project that we would have incorporated all of these practices um, and programs throughout the entire School of Natural Sciences. But I think starting in year one, when we were awarded the grant, there was this um, nice kind of convergence. Um, the chemistry department got a, um, an HSI award from National Science Foundation. Uh, we started to meet more of our colleagues in math and in physics and life and environmental sciences also, which is an interdisciplinary um, department, and learned that we have a lot of common goals and common ways to get there. And so we've already synergized early. And so I think that that's been a nice surprise because we don't have to, I feel like we skipped like, a, we got to skip a whole step of trying to get, you know, individual buy-in and then trying to convince, you know, our, um, our dean that this is something that's not just a department program, but a, a school-wide initiative. And mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so that's really refreshing and exciting. It makes things a lot easier and I think helps to maximize, I guess, the limited resources that we have. Yeah, I would say building on that um, an exciting development, and Marcos can fill in more about this, but the whole School of Natural Sciences has made a strategic plan and justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion are the keystone of that strategic plan. And I, I would say that I was surprised that happened so quickly. Um, but I think it was, it's really significant and it's going to impact the school, you know, for the next 10 years. And then hopefully also this will spread out to the other schools as well. So, and, and Marcos was working on a lot of that. So maybe he can fill in some details. Yeah, um, thank you, Laura. Part of the plan, this is a multi-focus uh, plan to lead the School of Natural Science forward. And as Laura stated, diversity, equity, well, justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, we like to call it JEDI, um, it's at the foundation mm-hmm. of it. Um, more specifically, a colleague, Karen Menke, and I, we were the leaders to... with task with modernizing curriculum through modernizing or, or teaching, which is really cool because if you would have asked me before our grant if that was going to be a focus of the program, I would not have thought that it was. It was going to be more of reaching our R1 status and developing the uh, a more stronger research infrastructure to push the research, the research mission of the institution. So it, I was very happily surprised and proud that actually they have brought up the pedagogical and teaching component forward. So that has been a great surprise. The other one, um, uh, I'm currently doing some research to um, set together uh, a NSF grant, and I was looking at our retention numbers uh, to see where they are in biology. And it was really neat to see them going up. So it's, I do not know if that upper trend, it is a result of the efforts that we have done. I think that is just a part of it, but I know that 
for example, the revamping of the Biology One infrastructure that was led by Laura, similar accommodations in the other biology classes have contributed to getting our students better prepared and retaining them in the major. So I think that from the research perspective, it's going to be a fascinating question to try to figure out um, before, I mean, because that's, that's about a three or four year trend now. So it could be really interesting to see where that started and how it's moving forward. And so building on what Mark was just um, said about biology education research and education research in general, you know, I would say that education research on our campus is relatively newer program or maybe newer, more, maybe it's more organized now. And so two people who are on our leadership team who couldn't join us today, Petra Kronsfelder and James Zimmerman, have a lot of experience in assessment and in biology education research. And we're starting to, the HHMI grant has allowed us to support research projects um, in education that are related to looking at student retention, student performance, uh, student affect, and across um, different lines in STEM. And that's something that was unanticipated. Yeah, and I think is, is, is also supported in our school's strategic plan going forward. Yes. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, that is really exciting and inspiring work. Oftentimes with that hard work, what we've seen in our assessment and understanding and exploration of these IE projects across the initiative is that this work does not come easily. And there are many challenges and struggles that project leaders face as they take on the challenge of identifying barriers to inclusion. Have there been particular uh, things about your journey that has challenged or frustrated you? If you mind, I'll start with one that comes to my mind. And it's the fact that all three of us are being trained in biology. So we did our graduate program or postdocs in biological sciences, but not in matters of institutional change, assessment, and all these other aspects. So we had a learning curve because we are now having to go beyond our zone of comfort in the training that we had as biologists to do work that is important, but it's very different from what we're trained of. So it has been a lot of effort to learn the new language, learn the way to measure things differently, um, try to understand a completely new field that there's people who actually get degrees on this, which uh, <laughs> we do not have the time to do. So <laughs> that, has been, that has been one of the biggest challenges to do that. And we have done rookie mistakes because of that that are always uh yeah that and that's exactly. part for the course right? and sometimes you just like push i Absolutely. wish i would have known that um then you find a paper you go to a conference etc cetera, etc cetera, and now you learn a little mm -hmm. bit more but it has opened a brand new field for us mm -hmm. absolutely yes and and we are practicing and learning yeah. as we go. And, you know, I, I happen to be one of those people who got a degree in this. And I'm sure if I were to go into your lab, 
mm-hmm. <laughs> into your biology lab, I would make many mistakes as well. And there would be a steep learning curve for, for me. So thank you for, for being honest about the, the truth. You know, we, we, there is a great deal of learning that is essential to organizational change. Uh, it's really the crux of the, the IEC's work. So thank you for, for being honest about that. Laura or Jennifer? Yeah, I, I can jump in. Um, the example that comes to mind for me was uh, in our most recent graduate training um, at the beginning of the semester. Um, and part of what we've been trying to do in that training is bring in more um, just recognition of the topics of diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice into the training of the new graduate students. Um, and I think especially after the pandemic and we came back to be in person, um, the, the group of us that was working on that, that training module just realized that we need more training and how to present that and how to really carefully think about who is doing that training, um, and yeah, we just, we need more background and information about how to do it and, and best practices and how to actually implement it. It isn't enough that we just think it's important and want to tell the students about it. There are actually very specific things we should be doing. And so we're all going to try to learn more about how to do that in a more effective manner. And I guess just from my perspective, what's frustrating is that we have a limited amount of time to do this like huge amount of work. Um, And then, you know, we had the pandemic. So what was frustrating is that things are slow and, you know, we can't, it's hard to come up with implementation plans that, you know, that, that will work on a timescale when this is not our only job, you know, this is like our, like one month, you know, one month of effort job. Right. Um, And, I guess the other thing that was kind of frustrating to me, but makes sense now, is that you know, with for example, with this uh, course course-based undergraduate research experience project, I was invited, you know, by um, our sibling campuses, a couple of them, to go to the other UC campuses and see how they have uh, organized their programs at their campuses. And so I kind of did this site visit and I met with, you know, entire program faculty down to, you know, student assistants. And I was just really surprised how much I learned about the different institutions, mm-hmm. how their programs are funded, how they're managed, you know, the outcomes and that, you know, you can't just, they're all excellent. They were all pretty excellent, but they, it, you know, neither program that I visited was going to be perfect to fit to UC Merced. And so I... So, you know, kind of had to just kind of take those notes and then still come up with another <laughs> implementation plan that we're testing. Um, but, you know, on the other side, the pandemic was super frustrating because I felt like it was a big halt in moving forward. But then it allowed us time to organize and to think and to really uh, talk with um, deeper with the faculty who are interested and come up with a more uh, reasonable um plan that fit the way that we the way that we add courses at UC Merced takes you know years and so so I feel like oh we're we're actually on track 
um, ill, but but not as far along, I guess, as we had envisioned from the start. And maybe that's just part of, you know, just what happens with institutional reform programs. We you have to vision sure, big and sure. then just really see what you can do. Right. And it's a very iterative process because as the conditions around you shift and change, you have to shift and change mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. response. And, you know, I'm glad that you said that uh, even about about the pandemic, because, you know, what has come through and even exploring the reflections of, of project leaders across the initiative is that, you know, as frustrating and scary as that halt was, right? it turned out to really be a space for us to sort of slow down just enough to really take a hard look at some of the things that have been the systems and structures and and practices that really guide and inform our work. So thank you for sharing those are really um, useful insight. As you sort of think about what you have learned along this journey through these challenges, are there anything, you know, building upon Laura's response, uh, are there any specific things that you hope to learn going forward? You have a couple more years thinking about institutional change through this lens of inclusive ex- excellence. Are there skills and things that you want to develop going forward? So from the perspective of faculty development, the pandemic illustrated that there were a lot of barriers to implementing changes in the way that people teach. And a lot of those may have been hidden by the fact that people were always doing their job. And all of a sudden now the pandemic threw that monkey wrench and that those barriers surfaced. And we need to be cognizant of what are the specific challenges that our faculty have in order to design strategies to mitigate them. Mm. From the perspective of changing the way that we teach, the faculty, I mean, the students are demanding that we do better. And Mm -hmm. as a community, we're hearing what they're saying, and we want to make sure that we meet their needs. But we also have conflicting needs. We have conflicted needs of keeping labs alive. We have conflicting needs of doing service for the institution. So we get pulled into multiple directions. And I think that it would be fantastic to figure out ways to mitigate or buffer some of those challenges to then facilitate the practices that are going to help us change the institution better. Because if the practices continue to be there as barriers, change will be extremely slow. A great point. So one of the foci, I guess, of our last two years of our grant um, is how to sustain the programs after the grant ends. Um, and so, um, and our peer institution cluster, oh, this is kind of what we've been talking about in the last year, how together about like, how do you, how do you do this? How do we institutionalize the programs? Um, and so I would like to learn more about that um, because, as you mentioned, you know, it's a everything is move. There's a moving. There's so many moving pieces. There's so much change, um, and there's always some piece of context, some context that's that we're not hearing, right? 
we're trying to learn more about how to how to get programs sustained without having to always apply for external funding and you know how do we do that right how what what are the what are the resources that are necessary to sustain a program and we're already kind of learning that especially with um, staff because we have had some staff turnover and no rehires in the last couple of years to help us with our programs and so um, I'm a little bit concerned that some of the programs will just disappear if we don't figure out how to I guess how to bring that staff those staff back and also we don't we don't manage those staff like that's not we're not in control of telling them what their job is and you know and so we also have to kind of learn how to communicate to the right people so I'm realizing now it's going to be a lot of kind of like um, elevator pitches and you know, making sure that we're talking to a lot of um, leaders on campus who will buy into the the projects. And so, yes, if you can teach us how to, s- about sustainability, <laughs> sustainability yes. of I mean, but what's interesting, your next thesis to What's you. interesting to me is the way that, you know, Marcos's response really tags on to mm-hmm. yours, right? So like, what does it look like to really um, develop the mechanisms that help institutional leaders assess what the challenges are um, in real time, right? Because the challenge is that the target is moving. It's not like, you know, as, as the Inclusive Excellence Commission outlines in the definition of inclusive excellence, it's not necessarily a destination or an outcome, but it's like an institutional posture that you know, how do, pro- how do leaders adopt this stance or defensiveness against barriers to inclusion. And to your point, Jennifer, um, weaving that in to existing practice and facilitating buy-in from other stakeholders, Mm -hmm. connecting the dots in all the way. It's this unique dance Mm -hmm. that does require a set of skills and learning. So it's good that you all are attentive to the fact that this is something that you have to learn (laughs) versus like, you know, uh, you can just... yeah you know, someone else will do it or you'll know, outsource it. Or no, but it is something that's absolutely essential for for leaders to know. And I don't I didn't know if I was cutting you off, Laura. Did you have something to yeah, add? Yeah, actually, um, another piece that came into my mind as I was listening to everyone was thinking about how faculty and students and even students and students interact, especially in the classroom, but throughout the campus. Um, and related to, you know, what we have been experiencing in addition to the pandemic over the past few years is, the, you know, the striving for racial justice and coming to the realization or just making it more stark that it in the classroom, all of these dynamics are at play. And as faculty, what... What can we do to mitigate negative interactions in the classroom and to model productive and effective conversations in the classroom? I feel like I would also like a lot more just know-how and Mm day-to-day practices of how to how to do that. I mean, I, I try things, but I, I feel like there's just so much more that I could be doing. Um, and I would like to know how to do it well. Um, and again, that isn't anything sure. that we are ever, tr- 
trained on. We we just have to kind of try to pick it up as we go and go out into the world and, and find things and bring them back. But yeah. Right. So. Unfortunately, we're all navigating, you know, uh, systemic racism in one way or another. And we're all learning how to, since we've all been socialized in this world, how do we undo? How do we dismantle? How do we combat a lot of the uh, the manifestations of, of, you know, histories of racism in our society? And so I think that, you know, this is all useful and and very important for folks who have a desire to do this work to hear that this is something that they're going to have to skills that these are they're going to have to cultivate and practice so thank you for being so transparent about that as we sort of wrap up because i want to be conscious of your time i would love to know we sort of been concluding the interviews in in a similar way so wrapping up by first asking two sort of related questions if you had to describe your experience of the inclusive excellence work in one word, what would that word be? And to really sort of close it out, if you had to do it all over again, if someone gave you the opportunity to go back in time, would you still choose to uh, be a part of this, this endeavor? So I'll give you a second to think, and then maybe you can start offering your one word, your one word's reflections on what this experience has been like. I can start. So uh, I guess one in one word, I would describe the, the experience as uh, inspiring. Mm. Can I elaborate more than one word? Sorry, so yes, um, I'm trying to think why, why? I'm so, sorry yes, for not being clear inspiring about that, yes. in, um, in that, I think that the participating in um, in those projects and in this um, all of the lessons that we've learned at AGHMI and with our interactions with colleagues, you know, it's really validated to me that you know STEM faculty have a space in you know in this mm-hmm. realm. Um, but we have a space we can share. Um, I feel like um, I feel very safe at my institution to kind of express who I am in all different ways um, and then say, and I'm, you know, and I'm STEM faculty, you know, um, Mm -hmm. which I think Mm -hmm. is, is great. And so if I were to do it again, there were probably, yeah, I would, I would hope if I were to do it again and I had all of the tools that I have now, I think we would be um, maybe, we would, our plan would have been a little bit more concrete, um, but maybe not. But yeah, I would definitely do it again. I mean, we started a campus together without a program and a grant and we had that mission, right? And so I still, I still feel like that is the, um, on the days that are really, really hard, you know, the mission of trying to uh, transform um, and create a new type of university campus in the University of California and making Merced realize, you know, that vision is still what kind of drives me to continue doing all my work here. So, yeah, I would do it again. Laura, you want to continue? Oh, sure. Um, So I agree with Jen that is inspiring, but the word that popped into my head first was challenging. Um, Fair. Yes. Word. Word. And and I just, but I was were. Our, 
I just I didn't want to give the impression that that's necessarily all negative, like challenging can be good, right? It can force you into new spaces where maybe you weren't comfortable before. And when I think about if I would do this again, most definitely, and, and you know, because a lot of times challenges are really good, they stretch you. And I would say if I was going to give anybody advice would be that this whole process is like a marathon and you can't really approach it with any other, well, you could, but that, that is a mindset that's useful, <laughs> that it's going to be a long, long slog. So, but mm-hmm. it's worth it. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Laura. Marcos, close us out. Well, I'm going to have to choose a different word since Laura and I were thinking the same. <laughs> and I guess the second word that came to my mind was somewhat mm-hmm. frustrating mm-hmm. Um, because of the slow pace that it takes. As Laura said, this is a marathon and um, we are driven by our passion of being faculty. At UC Merced, we serve a diverse group of students who um, deserve the best education they can get from a University of California campus. And I wish I had a magic wand and I can go back and have everything change immediately where all the faculty will be using pedagogies that are going to be um, supportive of the students and the institution gets all the budget that they want, all, all these magic things that I wish could happen. And the frustration is that it doesn't happen like a magic one. It, it takes time. And would I do this? Absolutely. Um, I've been here 15 years and I used to have a lab doing stem cell biology and I often think about how maybe I was able to transplant stem cells into mice and cure them from a disease. But that really, if to get that to have an impact would have taken, it would have been a very tiny chance. I would have taken a lot of resources and years versus the work that I'm currently doing now. I can see the direct impact that it has on students that are coming from households with challenges that may be the first one of them to go to college. And after they finish what they do here, they go to med school or they go to get a PhD. I just had a student who just sent me his acceptance to a postdoc in chemistry. And you cannot measure the impact that these young people who have come out from their environment and now are exploring things that their parents didn't think that they could, it's going to have. I often tell them that they are their ancestors' mm-hmm. dreams. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they are just poised to yeah. do fantastic things. And that is the thing that mitigates the frustration and just uh, makes me think that it's going to be yeah. good yeah. and makes it all worthwhile. Thank you. Excuse me. Thank you for sharing. It has been a special treat to get to chat with you all and learn about the ways that you all are continuing this great legacy of inclusive work that's happening at UC Merced. I think the context that Jennifer laid out in the beginning about, you know, the the ways in which this institution was designed to serve 
the populations that you're serving. And you guys are really contributing to that work in really substantial and meaningful ways. So thank you for your time and for your willingness to to share with us and our listeners about your experience of the Inclusive Excellence Project. Thank you. Thank you for having us.